morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to our series, to our study on the prophet Elijah. We've been going through and studying verse by verse the biblical account, the introduction we've had to Elijah, and we've seen some pretty amazing things that God has done with him and through him so far. Remember that God had called him, and then God, God said through him there would be no rain, but yet God took care of Elijah, fed him how? Fed him by the ravens, took care of him for a year plus. Then God moved him from there and sent him to the widow of Zarephath. Widow and her son who had virtually nothing, had a, a handful of flour, a little bit of oil. And through Elijah, God did the miracle of allowing that flour and oil to never run out. That widow lost her son. He died, and yet God raised him back to life through Elijah. Then we see God directing him back to the king, King Ahab, and having the showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets, false prophets of Baal and Asherah, and calling down fire from heaven. We saw God moving in a mighty way through fire, God moving in a mighty way through rain as God provided rain, and then the supernatural way of Elijah running in front of that chariot. So we've seen God do some pretty incredible things through Elijah. These last couple of weeks, however, we've seen that many times Elijah is just like us. And, and James writes that and describes that about him. And in the midst of all of these powerful ways of God using him, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is, just like us, Elijah was somewhere on that spectrum of despair. You could, you could go on the minor end and say, well, uh, you just, you know, sometimes you feel like you have the blues and you, you just kind of feel blah. Or maybe it's disappointment, it's discouragement, it's despair up to depression. And we've seen Elijah that way, and we've looked at many of the sources of despair. And last week we looked at some of the ways that God can help us as he helped Elijah overcome despair. And so this morning we continue on in 1 Kings chapter 19, and one of the ways that we saw last time together, one of those ways of helping us overcome that cycle of despair was this that we would recognize some new relationships. And what we saw is that God had put a call upon Elijah. In verse 16, he said to anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Now, we'll try to keep these straight. We've got Elijah with a J that we've been looking at these last number of chapters. And now he's saying to anoint Elisha with an S-H. We'll try to keep them separate. But God's saying, here's somebody else. I'm going to put this person into your life. God is concerned about Elijah to supply him with Elisha. God's concerned about Elijah, and God's concerned about you and I. And a part of that is the individuals and the relationships and the friendships and the resources God is able to place into our lives to help and care for us. But God's also not just concerned about Elijah. God's also concerned about his work. God's concerned about his work going forward and wanting that work to continue. 
And so God says, listen, you're going to anoint Elisha. I'm not done with you yet, but I've got some more things that when that time has come, Elisha's going to be there, he's going to be ready, but in the meantime, he's going to be a helper. He's going to be a blessing. He's going to be at your side. So God's concerned about Elijah to find somebody, to supply somebody with him. God's also concerned about the work to come. So now we've got not just one, but two prophets, two servants of the Lord. And and much like a number of weeks ago, we took a look at Elijah and Obadiah an individual who served underneath King Ahab. And we took a look at their lives, two men of God, in a little bit different and contrasting ways. We explored some of the marks or characteristics of a servant of God. Continuing that kind of similar vein, we're going to take a look at this short passage, just a a few verses of Scripture as we look at Elijah and Elisha. But these two men of God, two servants of God, what are a handful of additional or more marks of a servant of God? First of all, I believe another mark of a servant of God is this. A servant of God answers God's call. Answers the call. Just speaking practically, over the years, haven't our answers to calls changed. Remember back in the day, and back in the day wasn't like hundreds of years ago, but certainly a number of years ago, when we had just a landline phone in your home. It was like gold when that phone rang, right? Because you didn't know who it was, you didn't know what they wanted, but you didn't want to miss it. So you were picking up that phone Because who knows, maybe you want a million bucks. (laughs) Or maybe it's that long-lost relative. So that phone would ring, and you or somebody, hey, get the phone, answer the phone. Somebody was picking that phone up. Well, then things kind of shifted, right? And these things called answering machines were created. Well, then we didn't really have to answer the phone call. Because if we were gone or if we were busy or we just didn't feel like it, we'd let it ring through, right? And he'd play the little message and then hope, if it's important, someone will leave me a message. And so you would always have that opportunity of recording what somebody wanted from you. But then not too much later, these little things were created. And they've been out certainly for a number of years now. The the cell phones have have, uh, certainly changed and progressed over the years. But now, no matter where you are, it's the good and bad, right? (laughs) Literally, no matter where you are, somebody can reach you if you have one of these. Unless it's on the charge, unless it's, 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 you know, turned off, it needs plugged in, it needs charged. But we, we have these cell phones, so they're with us most of the time, and people can call us at any time. And how many times out and about, you're in the restaurant, you're in the store, and you hear ring, 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 and you look around, and it just keeps ringing, it keeps ringing, it keeps ringing, and you feel like shouting, answer the phone, 
Answer the call. I mean, maybe it's in someone's pocket. They don't realize it. Maybe it's buried in the purse and they don't realize it. Or, or maybe they think it's somebody else and they don't realize it. And we want to say, answer the phone. So it doesn't matter whether it was with a landline or with an answering machine or a cell phone or voicemail on a cell phone. What we really want is for someone to pick up and to answer the call. I believe that's one of the first marks this morning of the servant of God. We're going to see that with both Elijah and Elisha in that they will answer God's call. Take a look at verse 19 and 20. Again, in verse 16, God said, anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Verse 19 now. So Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So first of all, Elijah needed to answer God's call. We spent some time in this study and in this series of Elijah talking about, on, in multiple ways, multiple weeks, it's come up about hearing God's voice and being sensitive to what he says, putting ourselves in position to hear from him. And all of those things are good. All of those things are true. We've talked about you know, being in church. We've talked about being in God's word, talked about prayer. We've talked about things we can do to hear from God. And all of that's important. But how many of you know when God calls we're to answer. Not just be aware of it. Not just understand, oh, looky there, I got a missed call. I'll check that later. It, it's one thing to do with the cell phone. It's one thing to do with an answering machine. But many times you and I, God's knocking, God's calling, God's trying to get our attention, and we're kind of putting him off, putting him on hold. So God was speaking to Elijah, and the call was, you are to go, anoint Elisha, he's going to succeed you as prophet. That's a specific call. And what did Elijah do? He did exactly that, and immediately that. He left. He went to find Elisha, and he puts the mantle on him, and basically walks away. But when he finds Elisha, he finds him plowing the ground. And there's, there's oxen, there's 12 pair, and he's plowing behind the 12th pair. So Elijah was faithful to the call. He answered what God said. God says, go and anoint Elisha. And Elijah went, found, and did just that. But it's the interesting part, right? It says that he threw his mantle or he threw his cloak around Elisha. Now, our day, our culture, we don't quite do that. We don't just show up to somebody, take a, take a shawl and throw it over their shoulders and walk off. Or take a, you know, take a winter coat and throw it on someone's back and just start walking away. In today's day and culture, we will look and say, what are you doing? What's going on? 
We would not quite understand if someone walks up to us, does that without saying a word and walks off because what we see is Elisha then had to run after Elijah. So in our day, our culture, we say what's going on. Elisha did not have to ask what's going on here. He knew exactly what this action meant. This cloak or mantle, many times made of animal hair, animal skins, many times worn by kings and many times by prophets. It it kind of became this distinguishing factor. Think to the New Testament. John the Baptist. Camel hair and locusts. I mean, you could tell when John the Baptist was coming. I mean, there's just something distinctive about that, right? Uh, with kings, many times, it's kind of the, the kingly robes. With prophets, many times, it's this, this mantle, this cloak. It's, it's a very distinguishing factor. And God had used prophets, and, and here is Elijah with this mantle, with this cloak, in a sense, kind of representing a, maybe the opportunity or position, if you would, opportunity of some spiritual authority. So this placing of this mantle, this cloak around his shoulders, it's signifying something. When Elijah did that to Elisha, Elisha knew there is this invitation, this calling to follow. So Elijah answered the call. He did exactly what God said. He didn't just say, okay, God, I'm aware. i got to go find this successor. Yeah, I'll catch you later. He immediately obeyed. It wasn't just that he heard what God said or was aware of what God said. He answered the call and did it. But he shows up to Elisha. And now Elisha must answer the call. Now, what's interesting, where again do we find Elisha? In the temple? In the house of God? In the tabernacle? No. Out plowing a field. See, sometimes we get this, again, we get this concept. We, we talked a little bit earlier about that whole um, royal priesthood. Sometimes we think when it comes to the call, we get this, this big concept of the call. The call is just for pastors. The call is just for missionaries, evangelists, those who are in full-time, what we might call vocational ministry. Yes, God does call individuals to be pastors and teachers and missionaries and evangelists. God does do that. But guess what? Everybody has a part to play. We all have a call. We all have a call. So here's Elisha simply doing, faithful to do what he's been doing until God says otherwise. And guess what? God shows up through Elijah and says, otherwise. He's faithfully doing. He's faithfully plowing. He's saying, okay, this is what I am to do. And now Elijah shows up, puts that cloak or mantle around him. He recognizes, okay, this is this call to follow and obey. 
And now Elisha needs to answer. What's interesting here, if this was us, right, we would probably have a million and one questions. We probably do that anyway with God, right? I mean, we don't see any connection. We don't see any conversation in the text where Elijah shows up and says, hey, Elisha, let me just tell you exactly what this cloak is, exactly what this mantle is. Let me give you, you know, here's a 10-page, you know, double-spaced essay on what it means to follow. He does none of that. He puts it on his shoulder, walks away, and now Elisha, he's got to answer the call. We would probably want to have some details. The what and the when and the why and the how. We pretty much know the who because Elijah puts it on Elisha. But we want to have all these questions answered before we respond to this call. But listen, we don't have to understand fully and completely in order to obey immediately. That's a challenge for us. Because we want all the details before we commit. God speaks and God moves and we say, okay, but, 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 but. Answer all my questions, figure everything out, and then if I feel like it, I'm going to answer. The true servant of God, this man or woman of God, is obeying immediately and answering the call. He doesn't know all the details. All he knows is Elijah has put this cloak, this mantle, it's this symbol, it's this invitation to follow. He doesn't know all of what it means, but he's about to answer the call. Now, does God call people into full-time vocational ministry? Yes. Who knows but that God is calling some of you or one of you or more of you to consider full-time vocational ministry. But besides full-time vocational ministry, might God be calling or speaking or nudging to get involved in something for God? And we say, whoa, 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 God. Show me all the details before I get involved in something for you. I believe God's wanting us to answer that call. God speaks, and God nudges, and God works upon our hearts. And if we're not careful, our, our first thought is, show me all the answers before I commit. We don't always have to understand fully to obey completely. Answer God's call. What is God speaking? What is God nudging? How is God wanting to get you involved and used for his honor and his glory and his kingdom? Don't just let it go to voicemail. Say, God, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to listen. I'm going to answer. My answer, God, involves a yes. It involves that obeying. It involves trusting and following. God, I might not know all the details, but I'm going to answer the call. A servant of God answers the call. Secondly, a servant of God, I believe, embraces the cost. 
There's the, the phrase that we've heard it and you've heard it and said it. Oh, we've got to count the cost. And I like that. But I think it's more than just counting the cost. Maybe it's just words, but sometimes when we think about counting the cost, it's more mathematical. I just need to identify what the costs are and then step back and look at them. It's not just identifying the costs of following and trusting and obeying God. It's embracing. Recognizing it, understanding it, and then wholeheartedly saying, God, I'm willing to pay the price, pay the cost. A servant of God embraces the cost. Look at verse 20. As Elijah puts this cloak or this mantle on, basically he walks away. Elisha runs up behind him, and what does he say? Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? See, the challenge is, as we look at men and women of God, men and women of Scripture who have followed and answered the call, many times there is a cost associated with the call. We've got to answer that call, fully embrace the cost, even if it's challenging, even if it might be painful. Elijah put the cloak on him and leaves. This is a pretty big cost, a pretty big Ask and a whole little bit of time to think about it, right? Elisha had a choice to make. What was he doing? He was being faithful plowing. He was being faithful farming. And though that was certainly not the easiest thing to do, it might have been comfortable and it might have been familiar. He was kind of doing that same thing day after day after day. That view doesn't change a lot behind those two oxen. Right? Behind the oxen, behind the oxen. Might not have been the easiest thing as a farmer or plowing, but it's probably something that Elisha had gotten used to. And now God, through Elijah, is saying, I've got something else in store. I want you to consider answering this call, following me, and being used for my honor and for my glory in this way. There's a cost involved here for Elisha. Sense of security, maybe a, a sense of understanding, and sometimes we can, we can get lulled to sleep almost in that act of security or comfort to say, I'm not sure if I want to step out into what God might have because it's, it's different from what I'm currently doing. Elisha says, well, this is what I am. I'm, I'm plowing the field. And up to this point, until Elisha responded, Elijah has not been saying, here's all the details. So Elisha had the choice. Stay where I am. In the familiar, keep plowing or follow God and this invitation by Elijah into what might be an unknown future. Following God, taking that step of faith in ministry, taking that step of faith in our families, taking that step of faith in a community, reaching people for Jesus, it's not always that easy and comfortable life. Being a prophet... At this stage of Israel, there's a lot going on. 
I mean, he didn't, he didn't ask Elijah, hey, so what have you been up to the last few years? Let me get an idea of what you, know, what, what you mean by this. Elijah could have clued him in, right? Oh, yeah, I, I spent a year or two. God was taking care of me by the ravens. He fed me with food by ravens and, and some water by the stream. Then he sent me to a home. Oh, he sent you to a home? Yeah, a widow and her son who had nothing. Handful of flour, a little bit of oil. God miraculously provided for all three of us. Oh, but then her, her son died, but God used me to raise him back to life. Oh, and then we had this, this little issue with, you know, 450 false prophets. It was me against all 450, and, well, I guess me and God. I mean, he could have shared moment by moment these last number of years as to what was taking place. There's a huge cost in that particular day, that particular culture, being this prophet of God in a land and in a nation who wasn't really following or hearing the voice of God. That's a lot to consider. Elisha had this cost that he needed to answer. To leave his family, to leave his farm, to leave this plowing behind, there's a lot to let go there's a lot to gain in service of the Lord as God had a plan for him. Sometimes there's a cost involved as God leads and nudges us to that next step of faithfulness to him. What does that mean to, to talk to that coworker, that neighbor, that classmate? What if we kind of step out on a limb a little bit and, and, and get bold in our faith for Jesus? What does that mean in my standing in the company? in my family, in the community. A lot of different ways that God might seek to challenge and encourage us to follow. Sometimes there's difficulties as a result of following and obeying. Now, it's interesting. Look at his re response. It gets, it gets looked at quite a bit. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Now, a lot of people looking at this, this kind of brings to mind something from the New Testament. And maybe it, it struck you too. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, he's talking about the cost of discipleship. And he's talking to people. He says, follow me. And, and one of the men, he said, let me go and bury my father. And so many people look to that as kind of the excuse. And then we see this here from Elisha, and it sounds very similar. Let me go back. Let me kiss my mother and father goodbye. And the way that Jesus viewed it was more of the excuse, and here's why. The man was saying, let me go and bury my father in the New Testament. Didn't say anything like, well, he's... He's died today or he died yesterday and everything is already set. It's more of, yeah, let me go back because sometime, probably, in the future, he probably will die. And I want to be there and, and I want to be there and take care of it. And then at some point later on, if nothing else happens and you know, if I'm still feeling good about this, Jesus, then I'll follow you. That individual in the New Testament, Luke 9, that was the excuse. That was the putting Jesus off. And listen, Jesus' time was short. 
three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus wasn't saying, yeah, go take your time, eh, somewhere down the road, and if you want to come. He's saying, come follow me. We got work to do. So the New Testament, Luke 9, that was more of the excuse This particular portion, as we take a look at Elisha, this was not the hesitation. This was not the the hedging his bets. This was not trying to put off the call. In fact, many would view this more of an act of commitment. Literally, fully embracing the cost. In other words, it's almost like he would be saying in, in today's culture or times, let me go back and give my final goodbyes. I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to embrace the cost. Let me just do that. Boom. And I'm ready. It's not the putting it off. It's not the, well, let me just, you know, hesitate. And then Elijah's response, again, interesting. Go back. What have I done to you? And many read into that. Elijah is kind of condemning him. Oh, what are you doing? Going back. I think that was more of the expression maybe of the commitment that he saw in Elisha. As in, what have I done to him? I'm asking him to come. He's willing to come. I'm taking him away from his parents type of thing. So Elisha, he's looking to embrace the cost, simply give his goodbye. And Elijah sees that and recognizes that. Many times following God. Being a man or a woman to stand up for God in school, in the job, in the home, in the community, following what God has, sometimes there's costs involved. Sometimes you you get picked at, poked at, made fun of. A lot of different things that can happen when we answer the call of what God is saying to do. There's some pretty major costs Elisha is willing to pay. But he's seen he's about to see, see, he connects with Elijah. Elijah and Elisha, they're answering God's call. Elijah and Elisha, willing to embrace, fully embrace, recognize, understand, and pay the cost. And then finally this morning, so we take a look at Elijah and Elisha. A servant of God invests total commitment. What's Elisha's response Is it kind of a lukewarm, half-hearted, I'll join you, I guess? Was it a, well, you know, I'll have my people call your people and get back to me? Was it a, well, maybe next week I'll stop by and we can do an interview? What's Elisha's response? Complete, total, wholehearted Commitment. Look at verse 21. Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. You want to talk about a fast process. God speaks to Elijah. Elijah finds Elisha, puts his cloak, his mantle on him. And Elisha acts. Elisha responds with total commitment. Now, this portion maybe sounds even a little familiar as well to something from the New Testament. Remember Jesus 
in the calling of some of his first disciples. He finds some fishermen, and, and they're out with their boats and their nets, right? And Jesus talks to some of these fishermen, and he says, follow me, and I will do what? I'll make you fishers of men. What do they have? What do they do? Well, let me think about it, Jesus. The scripture says what? They left everything and followed him. A unique parallel here. This is basically Elisha saying, I'm leaving everything behind and following after you, Elijah, following after the call of God. This is complete commitment and total seriousness. He slaughters the oxen and burns the plowing equipment. Now, we fully agree with and understand that first part, slaughtering the oxen. I mean, multiple places in, in God's Word and through the Old Testament, God gave instructions about sacrifices, right? Uh, we're, we're thankful we don't need to do that. Christ was the complete one and only sacrifice for us. But in the Old Testament, it's kind of bloody, kind of gory. Animals would be slaughtered and, and blood would be used. And, and there were many times, you know, sacrifices made to the Lord. And so there would be sacrifices of animals. So we look at that and we say, okay, he slaughtered the oxen. It's kind of like this sacrifice unto the Lord. But then we look at that second part, right? Not only did he slaughter the oxen, he burned up the plowing equipment. We say, whoa, 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 Elisha. Couldn't you have just gone out and found a tree somewhere? Couldn't you have found someone's old beat-up barn and just find a couple planks from there and just use that to burn the oxen? I mean, this is some good equipment. What in a sense did that mean? Elisha's saying, no turning back. There's no plan B, no backup plan. I am all in, Elijah. I'm following you and trusting in you and in God's call. I'm not leaving anything to try to come back to if this doesn't work out. I'm not just dipping my foot in, seeing how this following Elijah thing works, and if I don't like it, I'll just return back to my plow and my oxen. Well, I don't have any oxen. He's saying, I'm all in. I'm burning up the plowing equipment. I'm slaughtering the oxen. Everything that I need and use in my farm, I'm getting rid of. You want to talk about commitment? Wholehearted devotion to what God has? That's what we see from Elisha. No wavering. No second thoughts. No backup plan. No plan B. I'm only working on plan A, which is follow God, obey God through his servant, Elijah. He put the mantle on, says, follow me, I'm, I'm following. He answered the call, fully embraced the costs associated with it, and then he invested total commitment. What we see through Elisha, go through the next number of chapters in Scripture, he was that helper. He was that assistant, if you would, to Elijah, probably about seven or eight years. Now, we haven't gotten there yet. It'll be one of the last things that we do as we study Elijah. 
spoiler alert, Elijah doesn't die. God takes him to heaven how? In a whirlwind. So after God does that, this is about another seven to eight years of faithfulness with Elijah. God takes Elijah to heaven, and then God uses Elisha in a mighty and a powerful way. He leaves it all behind. He follows Elijah, faithfully serves for years, and then God has the plan to use him. God uses him basically about another 60 years of ministry as he faithfully serves over the reigns of about four different kings in Israel. That's some powerful commitment, but it starts with this powerful decision. God speaks and God calls and God nudges and, and many times we want all the details. God, give me all the info before I say yes. Maybe Maybe we can't always handle the details. Do you think we can handle everything when God says how he wants to use us for his honor and glory? Maybe we'd get overwhelmed at some of those details. Or maybe on the flip side, maybe we'd ruin everything and try to do it all ourselves. God doesn't always show us everything about that powerful call, much like here with Elisha. He simply showed him the next step. Abraham. Moses, God didn't give this entire detailed plan. He, he had a call. Abraham followed. Moses followed. Think of the New Testament. Peter, walking on water. Does Jesus give a detailed physical explanation of science as to what will happen when he steps out of the boat onto the water? He just simply says what? Come. Come. It's literally like one word, come. And he stepped out of the boat and was ready for what God had in store for him. What's that one word that God might have for you? That nudge that, that God might be, maybe it's not come, maybe it's not step on the water, but what might God be desiring to do in and through you? It involves us answering the call, embracing the cost, and then investing with total commitment. Total commitment. The year was 19, I'm sorry, 1519. The year was 1519, and the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez sailed into the harbor of Veracruz, Mexico, he brought with him about 11 ships and about 600 men. And yet over the next two years, this vastly outnumbered force was able to defeat Montezuma and all the warriors of the Aztec Empire, making Cortez the conqueror of all Mexico. How was this incredible feat accomplished when two prior expeditions had failed to even establish a colony on Mexican soil? Here's a hint. Here's a clue. Cortez knew from the very beginning that he and his men faced incredible odds. He knew that the road before them would be dangerous and difficult. He knew that his men would be tempted to abandon their quest and return to Spain. So as soon as Cortez and his men had come ashore and unloaded all of their provisions, 
He ordered their entire fleet of 11 ships destroyed. His men stood on the shore and watched as their only possibility of retreat burned and sunk. From that point on, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt there was no return, no planning, uh, no turning back, no plan B. Nothing lay behind them but the empty ocean. Their only option was to go forward, to conquer or die. Amazing. Burn the ships. Complete, total surrender to the task at hand. Elisha, slaughter the oxen, burn the plows. And then serve it as steaks and hamburgers to the community. Right? Amazing. Complete, total commitment. He was willing to invest as he answered the call and embraced the cost. (laughs) 